This morning, I'd like us to um, think about God speaking through waiting. Waiting. So I was really interested when Rachel said, Waiting Here for You was the title of the book that she was um, read her hymn from, Waiting, Waiting. The word Advent means arrival, but intrinsic to that word is the idea of waiting, the anticipation and longing of, of God's people for his appearance, especially deliverance, the kind of deliverance Brian was talking about this morning, deliverance and redemption. So I wonder this season, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for your Christmas lunch? Maybe not if you're just fed up of roast dinners. <laughs> um, my children are waiting for chocolate every morning. Ed and I are waiting for Christmas break, more sleep. <laughs> Perhaps it's bigger hopes, bigger expectations. Are you waiting for that all clear message from someone who's not well? Are you waiting for a prodigal child or son and daughter to return home? Are you waiting for unanswered prayer? What are you waiting for? What's popping in your mind right now? There's a beautiful poem that's actually written about summertime, but for me, it really sums up Advent really well, and it's called Kneeling by R.S. Thomas. I just wanted to read it to you as we start. Moments of great calm, kneeling before an altar, of wood in a stone church, in summer waiting for God. To speak, the air of a staircase, the silence, the sun's light, ringing me as though I acted a great role and the great audiences. Still all the close throng of spirits waiting as I, for the message, prompt me God, but not yet, when I speak. Though it be you who speak, through me, something is lost. The meaning is in the waiting. The meaning is in the waiting. I invite you to turn with me. Um, to Luke chapter 1. Um, this morning we're looking at the encounter um, between an angel called Gabriel and Zachariah, which I love. It's so dramatic. Um, so we're going to be reading Luke 1, verse, starting from verse 5. As Ed would say, open your Bible or switch it on, um, or just listen and imagine as I read. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. 
I, I would have been a bit more startled, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are t- to give him the name John. He will be a joy because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this is good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his great favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. Luke is really clever how he starts the beginning of his book. Um, The audience he's writing to are Greek and Roman and pagan. And so it's very much like he's saying, once upon a time, in an ancient land, far, far away, It's a a forgotten people, a forgotten nation. And he sets it right in community. We see the timeline there. It tells us of Herod in Judea. So it shows you the political timeline. Shows you that it's the people of Israel. But then it really narrows down to that priestly line, that priestly family. And what's really interesting is he chooses to mention that Elizabeth is also from a priestly family. So not only was Zechariah from a priestly line he had like a double blessing a gold stamp because he was married to Elizabeth who was also from the priestly line of Aaron they were blameless in the sight of God and they were very very old very old in age but yet still no children it's in this context that Zechariah has once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So there were 24 priestly divisions, 24, and Zechariah is of the eighth division of Abijah. And in essence, there's too many priests for the number of jobs that are available. Um, So what do you do in ancient times? You cast lots. So the actual likelihood of Zechariah serving in the the temple, I didn't work out the maths because that's not my strong point, is very, very small. Um, so not only is his division chosen, he's then cast lot. And so this is his moment in the spotlight. Um, I'm sure he was milking it. Probably not because he was blameless. So he's probably very humble. 
And it's in a community setting. It's in a gathering like this. Um, everything in this Jewish culture is in community. So the whole temple's gathered. And Zechariah, at, at the point in the gathering, he goes into the most holy place. It's so holy that they even tied a rope around your ankle in case you, I don't know, passed out or couldn't return. Perhaps you might have died in there so they could willed you back out because no one else was allowed to go in. And they carried on that regular pattern of worship. And then God speaks. A commentator says this. For Luke, the story begins at the point where after 400 years of silence, the voice of God was heard again by the people of Israel. Not even their grandparents or great-grandparents remembered God speaking. They didn't remember it. There was no one alive who lived through God speaking this way. Out of silence, out of watching, out of waiting, God speaks. It's really great to see that throughout Luke 1, Luke emphasizes the supernatural presence of God breaking in. For me, as I was reading it, it's very much like going from black and white to color. Um, They were just getting on with the everyday, the habitual, the black and white. And all of a sudden, God spoke. And it was like color. I don't know if any of you do watercolors. And when you put color on the paper with water, and it just seeps, doesn't it, That as you do watercolors. God spoke. The supernatural continues to carry through in chapter 1. You've got John, he's to be filled with the Holy Spirit from conception in verse 15. In verse 35, we see that the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. In verse 41, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit as she meets Mary. In verse 67, Zechariah is then filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. God is breaking in. It's no longer God on mute, no longer God sound turned down. God is speaking at full volume. No wonder the angel tries to reassure Zechariah, do not be afraid. What is God's message that the angel brings? Your prayer has been heard. I loved that Brian mentioned that, that you hear us when we pray. Your prayer has been heard. Now, the word prayer here that is used is um, diarsis, I think, in the Greek. And I always thought that it was prayer in response to the couple's childlessness, their barrenness. But it isn't. It's prayer in relation to a one-off supplication. When the priest went into the temple at that point, he would have prayed for the redemption of Israel. He would have prayed for the coming Messiah. And so at that point, the angel said, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer that you want the redemption of your people. You want the Messiah to come for the Jewish nation. It's in this prayer that's been heard that the angel brings a message of good news, of gospel. Even at the very beginning, we have that that gospel, that good news, of the incarnate, of God with us in heaven, coming with us on earth. The wait is finally over. (laughs) Thank you for your enthusiasm, Rob. (laughs) Not only that, but he and Elizabeth will bear a child. 
And I find Zachariah's response hilarious and humbling. Um, Yeah, I love it every year that I, I read it. And it's unbelief. And in the message, it says this. Zachariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I am an old man, and my wife is an old woman. You can do the biology. Don preached a fantastic sermon last week and showed us loads of different prophecies, or just a few of them out of the hundreds. Um, And there are a few in relation to the coming Elijah, the messenger, the precursor to Jesus. And the two I want to mention are in from Malachi. So Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then Malachi 4.5, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the, that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So the angel is directly referencing those prophecies. The child they are to bear is that coming Elijah, is the messenger. Zechariah, as a priest, he would have known these. He would have studied them and known them. Um, He knew what the Jewish people were waiting for. But this isn't where his unbelief is founded. His unbelief is that he and Elizabeth are far too old, very, very old. They can't conceive. And that's even identical to the question back in Genesis that um, Abraham said, I'm an old man. But Zechariah asks it in a different spirit. He's kind of asking for a sign. Come on, show me. In the Old Testament, both Gideon and Hezekiah ask for signs in Judges and Two Kings. But they're not coming from a position of unbelief like Zechariah is. As I was reading this um, from my parenting mindset, he was back chatting. He was talking back to the angel, um, like your kids do, or perhaps they did when they were younger, or your grandchildren. When you're trying to say something, and he's like, yeah, if you don't think so, that's how it came across to me. Um, Consequences. The angel gives his credentials in case Zachariah hadn't realized who he was. Um, Like he didn't see his name label. I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. Um, I'm God's messenger. uh, And I will give you a sign, but not the sign you're hoping for. Um, You're not going to be able to speak. And I really think this is a reminder that he has two ears and one mouth. Um, So often that's true for us, isn't it? That, in fact, listening is so much more important than speaking at times. Um, Yeah, I know that's so to be true. So the couple are now left back at that point of waiting. Waiting to conceive. Waiting to speak. Waiting to give birth. Waiting to see God's promises fulfilled. A commentator says, Zachariah is silent. Elizabeth as we see, is in hiding. God is at work from within, not outside institution. The old is ushering in the new. Isn't that beautiful that God uses an old couple to usher in the new? Waiting is never wasted. And it's lovely, Sheila, in our life group, um, used this illustration um, 
for me when, as many of you know, I have um, depression. Sometimes I'm in good places, sometimes I'm not. At the moment, I'm doing pretty well. Um, But a great illustration of what happens in darkness. Now, who here has got bulbs at the moment in their house waiting, like hyacinth bulbs? Anyone got those yet? Yeah? Bulbs? (laughs) The ones you grow, not the ones in... Okay. (laughs) What is amazing about bulbs, particularly hyacinths, is you need to put them in the dark for the roots to grow, for the roots to develop. And you don't see that growth. You don't see that development. Otherwise, it wouldn't, they wouldn't grow. If you to take it out so you can look, that defeats the point, doesn't it? And so it's in that very dark place, in the silence, in the waiting, that growth happens. And in fact, I would say the root growth is more important than the flower growth. Because unless the roots are deep unless they're strengthened in that dark place, you won't get the the flower or even the smell from a beautiful hyacinth. And I'm sure in the ancient um, land, they didn't even know about hyacinths in the desert. Also, what's really interesting is Elizabeth and Zachariah are taken back to that point of waiting in terms of pregnancy. Um, We read this in such quick succession, verses and verses and verses, and then they had a baby. It takes nine months He would have been silent for nine months. Elizabeth would have been growing for nine months. And it's not just waiting, it's actively waiting, isn't it? So go back to the beginning. What are you waiting for? Like Zachariah, do you believe the bigger picture? Do you believe for somebody else? Well, I can believe someone else will be healed, but I can't believe for myself. I can believe someone else's child will return to the Lord, but I can't believe my son will. It's quite interesting that we can believe for others or believe for our community, but not for ourselves. Or do we ask, how long, Lord? How long? Pauline Mulhern in our life group, just, um, she's amazing. And she makes me chuckle because she says, I get cross with God. And I tell him so. And it's just so real. Because you say, how long? I've been waiting so long. What is really interesting is God is going as fast as we can handle it. God is going as fast as we can handle it. He can go fast. But can we go with him? No, he's going as fast as we can handle it. Waiting, it develops patience, endurance and resilience. Waiting creates longing and increased expectancy. Waiting builds gratitude for what we'll receive. Waiting prepares our hearts and readies us to receive. Waiting increases our capacity to receive, enlarging our hearts. Waiting cleanses us as we let go of lesser desires and attachments. Waiting deepens faith in the goodness of God, despite delays. We need to end this by actually seeing what has happened to Zechariah through his waiting. It's out of the waiting and out of the silence. Zechariah is then filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies, um, which is from verse 68, and I'll read it out. So after 400 years of silence, after then an additional nine months waiting of his wife, 
not being able to speak, of just being able to listen, he says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and redeemed them. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And that is the response that's characterized through the whole of the nativity story, isn't it? When um, the shepherds have that angelic encounter, when the wise men encounter Jesus, they bow down and worship, they praise. So our response, God speaks through waiting. What are we to do while we're waiting? The people of Israel continued with their normal pattern of worship. Week in, week out, gathering as community was so important as it is for us. While we wait to gather as community. So while you're waiting, you pray, you read your Bible, you meet with brothers and sisters of Christ. You give praise and thanksgiving and worship. As we wait, we listen. That can be really hard. For me, anyway. I'm so active in my praying with God. I've got to be doing something. Whereas God says, be still and know that I am God. Okay. Again and again and again. We need to keep on waiting. Keep on listening. That is a life well lived. And to finish, one final analogy. There's a children's film called Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. And it's about a magical toy shop. And I'd highly recommend it for all ages. It's got Dustin Hoffman in it. And it's hilarious and fun and brings tears to your eyes. Um, And at the end of the film, they're doing lots of cheeky, mischievous things. And so they go into a clock shop and set all the clocks to chime in 37 seconds, secretly without the owner not seeing. And Mr. Megorium and his friend Mahoney, Mahoney says, now we wait. And he says, no, we don't wait. We breathe in and out. Our souls regenerate. 37 seconds well spent. Waiting is never wasted. God speaks through waiting. And I'd really encourage you this morning, if you're in that kind of season, we'd love to pray with you because sometimes it's hard to wait by yourself. But may God really speak to you in a fresh way about that his Messiah has come and the wait is over. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for blessing in the waiting. We thank you that you only go as fast as we can. Help us to hear your still small voice this Advent season. Be still and know that I am God.